Welcome to the On The Air podcast, a companion to On The Air magazine, a new bi-monthly magazine from ARRL for beginner to intermediate ham radio licensees. Filling in for Becky Schoenfeld, W1BXY, I'm QST editor Steve Ford, WB8IMY. Every month, the On The Air podcast extends material found in On The Air magazine to help you learn about the many things the ham radio service and hobby has to offer. The On The Air podcast is brought to you by ICOM, for the love of ham radio. Welcome to the April 2020 episode. In the March-April 2020 issue of On The Air, there's an article titled The Three Types of Public Service, which talks about the three different ways in which amateur radio fulfills one of its main purposes, offering communication support in times of public need, up to and including disasters and emergencies. Two of the ways in which hams serve the community are fairly well known. There's community support and support of local events. Community support involves hams assisting public safety agencies. This is the part of ham radio that can include assisting during disasters. Support of local events is what hams do when they provide communications at events such as parades, races, and fairs. The third type of amateur radio public service is talked about less often than the other two aspects, but is just as important. Family communications. The article, Three Types of Public Service, touches upon the need to create a family emergency plan. One element of that plan is a family emergency communications plan. In the event of an emergency, the people nearest and dearest to you should know where to meet up if the family gets separated and who to contact for help with important information. FEMA has resources available on their ready.gov website to assist you in creating a family emergency communications plan. Their system involves three steps. One, collect. Two, share. And three, practice. In step one, collect, the site guides you to create a paper copy of all the contact information relevant to your household, including each member's basic contact information, their workplace and school contact information, and information about the household's other important contacts and offices, such as the household's various service providers, health care providers, medical facilities, and so on. The site offers an extensive three-page list, where you can put all the necessary information, including phone numbers, addresses, websites, and email addresses in one place. There's a space for your notes as well. Once you have all the information written down, you can move to step two, share. The ready.gov site recommends that everyone in your household carry a paper copy of this information with them at all times. If you complete your family emergency communication plan online at ready.gov forward slash make dash a dash plan, you can print it and put it into a wallet size card. The site also recommends posting a copy of the information in a central location in your home, like your refrigerator or a family bulletin board. Ready.gov recommends that you regularly check in with the members of your household to make sure they are carrying this information with them. If members of your household are reluctant to carry a paper copy of emergency contact information, Ready.gov suggests challenging them to recite important phone numbers from memory. 
Even if they're able to do it, though, ask them to think about whether they'd be able to do it in the case of an emergency, when stress can sometimes impair our ability to complete functions that may seem automatic in normal daily life. Ready.gov also recommends that each member of the household should store at least one emergency contact under the name In Case of Emergency, or ICE, in each of their phones or devices. This will help someone identify their emergency contact if needed. Remember to let your emergency contact know that you've designated them as an emergency contact and to let them know of any medical issues or other requirements that you might have. Now, once you've shared the necessary information with members of your household, it's time to move on to step three, practice. Some members of your household may need practice in texting and calling other people. It's important to practice these basic skills before an emergency happens. Practice gathering all the members of your household at your indoor and neighborhood emergency meeting places. Discuss how each person would get into your household's identified out-of-neighborhood and out-of-town meeting places. Discuss potential modes of transportation, such as public transportation and paratransit, for all household members, including those with disabilities or special access needs. If members of your household need practice in using a certain type of transportation, the time to do it is during normal life when there is no emergency. As a matter of fact, we're recording this episode of the On the Air podcast at a time that's far from normal. We've all been asked to stay inside to reduce the spread of the COVID-19 virus. If you or your family member is looking for something to do at home during this time, take the opportunity to get started on your family emergency communication plan. The Ready.gov website has a lot more information and resources for making an emergency plan. Visit Ready.gov for all the links. The Project Build article in the March-April issue of On the Air discusses a handy ham skill, and that's installing coax crimp connectors. As a newer ham, you may be hearing experienced hams talking about soldering, and that's a classic skill. But when it comes to installing connectors onto coaxial cable, crimping works just as well, if not better in some cases. We talked to Dino Pappas, KL0S, the author of the article, to find out more. Good morning, Steve. I want to do a thank you and also Becky, W1BXY, our on-the-air editorial director, for asking me to do this follow-up. Well, hams have used solder on coax connectors for many years. It's almost a uh, rite of passage for a new ham back in the day. Uh, of course, the military developed coaxial cable uh, during World War II, and hams picked it up uh, afterwards. And nowadays, um, I use uh, silver-style solder on connectors uh, it makes it uh, makes it much easier for the connector to take solder you don't have to put quite as much heat to the thing which you're always in danger of melting the um, dielectric inside and that's not good for the connection at some point in the past the commercial vendors and even NASA began using crimp connectors for their strength and reliability now there's different styles that are used for different frequencies as frequency increases, what we now call UHF connectors or PL259s for HF, and 2 meters and N-style connectors for 432 and above uh, uh, are popular. Now, both methods are both an art and a science and, and frankly, take practice. Uh, hams have followed suit with the crimping in the last few years, and many of us have started out using uh, power pole crimp tools that also had die sets for coax connectors. Uh, 
Solder-on connectors are probably easier to create at the workbench and crimp-on styles probably more so at the other end if you're out in the field or next to the antenna. They may be a bit easier because of uh, soldering connect, uh, considerations. Um, cost is also a factor. If you're not going to do a lot of coax connectors, the solder-ons are probably a way to go at first, at least for a beginner. You will have a, an initial investment with crimps because you have to buy a tool and then you also have to buy uh, the proper die sets for the uh, type of coax that you're using. And of course, you're going to have to have a stock of connectors. So uh, for beginners, I would recommend probably uh, solder on connectors at first and learn how to do them. Find a ham in the local club who can uh, give you a hand. Uh, there are two different types of crimp connectors. There's a crimp where you crimp the braid with the sleeve over the ferrule. And then there's a crimp uh, for the center pin. And then there's a crimp where you do the braid and you solder the center conductor to either a pin with end connectors or inside the tip of a PL259. Uh, I prefer the crimp, the braid, and solder the pin, because I've never had much luck with uh, crimping the uh, the center pins. So there are also crimp-type connectors for BNC and SMA connectors as well. Beginners are probably going to focus on PL259s and maybe end connectors if they're working VHF and uh, US, UHF. Um, weatherproofing is basically the same for each type of connector. Uh, we used to use something called coax seal that was really messy and smelly and hard to get off. I remember yeah. that. Yes, and nowadays uh, there's uh, the way I uh, weatherproof the um, the area between the coax uh, outer jacket and the connector itself is with uh, marine grade shrink tubing. It's got some glue inside, and when you put a heat gun to it, the glue melts and provides you a much better waterproof connection. You can also use 3M electrical tape. And the thing that I found uh, most popular recently and what I use almost exclusively now is uh, silicon self-fusing tape. Sometimes it's called rescue tape. Um, you can buy it from the, the ham radio distributors, and you can get it in Walmart out in the end caps usually. But the bottom line of all of this for us hams, it's the quality of your installation that counts. And it's not necessarily the method that uh, you use to attach your coax connectors. It's, it's how well you do it. Once again, it's an art, and it's a science, and it takes practice. Well, now, if somebody wants to go out and buy a crimping tool, where would they find it? Um, there are several... Um, uh, providers. I bought my tool set from uh, Quicksilver Radio. Mountain Hardware, I believe, has them. Uh, DX Engineering has tool sets for both crimping connectors and preparing your coax for uh, your crimps. Uh, you can do the preparation on your own. You don't need a tool for that. A tool makes it uh, much easier because it'll prepare the coax to the correct lengths for the braid and the uh, center conductor. But you can do it uh, with a, a sharp box-cutting type knife. Uh, I always start with a fresh blade when I do that. Be careful, don't don't cut yourself. But you can do it as long as you're careful not to nick the braid or nick the center conductor. But uh, you're probably going to spend a little north of $100 for a tool set, and uh, proper dies might cost you a little more because the die sets are different for the type of coax you use, RG8, RG8 Mini. RG213 or LMR240 or or 400 all require different sets of dies, so that's an additional cost, and then you have to buy more connectors, of course. 
Well, that brings the cost back into focus, Dino. And uh, as you said, that's a substantial amount of money if you're only doing a few connectors during a given year, right? Yeah. Um, I, once again, I think for a beginner, uh, if you're going to venture off into soldering your own connectors onto your coax cable, I would say go with the uh, the solder-on style. And then uh, if you want to go off into crimping later on and you think you're going to do a lot of connections, then the outlay of the money may very well be worthwhile. The initial outlay is going to be quite a bit more with crimps. So first of all, I'd, I'd say go with solder-on connectors or um, buy yourself a piece of coax with a coax connector already installed from one of the major suppliers. There's nothing wrong with doing that, especially for a beginner, because that'll ensure that you've got a good coax connector for your new station. Now, one thing, Dino, that often comes up is the reliability of crimped connectors versus solder. Do you have an opinion on that? Um, I think that goes back, once again, to the fact uh, of how well you put it on. Although I would say that the commercial activities who make coax cables with pre-installed connectors, to include NASA almost exclusively, as far as I know today, use the crimp method of installing them. And from a structural standpoint of reliability, uh, the crimp connector might provide you a little bit better mechanical connection because that uh, the ferrule uh, has the braid that goes over it and then the sleeve and then the, uh, the, the uh, tube goes over the top of that and you crimp that down. And that's a pretty solid connection. Um, if you're soldering the connector on, you're actually soldering to the braid um, and the connection there is dependent on the ability to uh, to solder the connector to the braid. That's a little tricky, and I think I'll cover that in the uh, in the article that'll be hopefully coming up in on the air sometime soon. Well, thank you, Dino. That's an excellent suggestion, and I'm going to look forward to your soldering article. Uh, you bet. Thanks, Steve. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, which took a deeper dive into the material from the March-April 2020 issue of On the Air magazine. The May episode of the podcast will look at material from the May-June issue of the magazine. We're working on that issue right now, from our home offices, of course, while we're under quarantine. In the meantime, feel free to send comments about On the Air to ota at arrl.org. Read our blog, too, at arrl.org forward slash ota hyphen blog or learn more about ARRL membership at ARRL.org. Until next time, I'm Steve Ford, WB8IMY, 73.